There is something I love about planning a trip. Once I've decided I'm going somewhere, it is almost obsessive in the amount of time I spend picking out the best driving routes, the hotels, the food especially, and the activities. It becomes pretty much all my brain thinks about. I think I honestly get this from my dad. He has always loved to plan trips, especially the food portion. So when Anthony mentioned to me that he wanted to take an anniversary trip, I jumped at the chance to join him. Immediately, I began looking into different destinations, different hotels and resorts we could stay at, and obviously comparing food options. There is something fun about staying in a hotel and being temporarily away from your everyday life and any problems you might have. But what happens when those problems follow you? When the gentleman at the center of today's case checks into his hotel, he's acting odd. But odd people come into the hotel all the time. In fact, this hotel is known for its odd characters. But when the gentleman's phone stays off the hook and he's found in the dark or talking to someone that no one else can see, did his demons follow him? This is the case of the mystery of room 1046. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. So before we begin the episode this week, Allison and I wanted to let you guys know about... Some things to mark on your calendar, I guess I should say, in regards to coffee and cases. Yes. As you all know, this is the season for spending time with your family. So in an effort to spend more quality time with our families, which we sometimes sacrifice Mm -hmm. uh, for producing the show, Maggie and I have decided that we will take off Thanksgiving week. So what that means for you guys is there won't be a new episode for you to listen to for the week of November 21st through the 25th. But that is okay because we have lots of new material posted on Patreon. If you haven't yet joined our Patreon, now is the time where for a limited time, you can access full Patreon episodes as well as mini episodes each month for only five dollars a month because soon beginning of the year next year (laughs) that price will go up so now is the time to join and stay at five dollars a month so to join now go to www.patreon.com forward slash coffee and cases all one word so I really thought when you cleared your throat just then, I like almost highlighted it so we would know that there was an edit there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. I'm she's doing so that good push. that Maggie thought I was really clearing my throat. Yeah, basically. <laughs> On January 5th, 1935, when our story takes place, a man... Hmm. <laughs> oh, no. How are you already pausing? <laughs> Because I don't know, I don't want to give too much away, but a man under the name of Roland T. Owen was admitted to a hospital in Kansas City, Missouri for being beaten and stabbed multiple times. Okay, so first, you're just jumping right in. Yes, so we're kind of working in the hospital. Okay, beaten and stabbed, but you said (laughs) going by the name of. So. Okay. I'm there right. with you. All right. right. So Roland would later die from these injuries in the hospital. 
but his death was preceded by a two-day stay in room 1046 at the President Hotel, or Hotel President, its name um, switched, the word switched yeah. at some point in its history, um, and what is now the city's power and light district. And I love old buildings. I'm obsessed with just history in general. So I had to look up the hotel mm-hmm. and it's just as I thought it would be the president hotel. It was once hotel president was built in 1926 by the Niagara Falls businessman, Frank A. Dudley, who operated like this big chain of hotels, uh-huh. like United hotel company, I think. And it was really beautiful on the outside, had beautiful brickwork and, the hotel was built during this construction boom in the area, and there was like Main Street Theater was built, Midland Theater was built, and the Kansas City Power and Lot Building was built. So all of these good things are happening mm-hmm. in this area. Mm-hmm. So just a little bit of background on the hotel. In 1926, it was actually, or no, I'm sorry, 1928, it was actually the headquarters for the 1928 Republican National Convention. So that was when we saw Herbert Hoover be nominated for president. So, so that's just a couple of years after it was built. Yeah. So I think that speaks a lot to yeah. the clientele mm-hmm. in its early years. Mm-hmm. And the probably how sh- nice it was. Yeah. And it, from the outside, did look exactly how you think it would look. Okay. The hotel's drum room lounge attracted many entertainers from across the country, like Frank Sinatra. Wow. So a bunch of really famous people. It did close temporarily in the 80s um, to undergo this huge renovation. It was like $45.5 million to restore parts of the hotel. Um, And then it reopened again in 2005 as the Hilton President Kansas City. And I'm pretty positive it's still a Hilton hotel. Mm -hmm. Um, in 1935, when this case takes place, the President Hotel was still as pretty as it is today. And it was in the early afternoon of January 2nd, 1935, when a well-dressed man carrying no luggage walked into the Hotel President and asked for a room on the inside. Who wants and that? On a very high floor. Okay, both things that I wouldn't want. First of all, yeah. I want a view. Second mm-hmm. of all, I'm not so keen. Being higher up, unless I'm at the beach and then you get a better view of the water. But yeah. otherwise, the lower, the better in case there's a fire. Yeah, and I kind of, I think I've told this story before, but I'm sort of done with interior rooms because I lived in one for a hot minute in college and I didn't have any mm. reception. Yeah. And I'm, that room, I'm pretty sure, was haunted. So it kind of oh. scarred me a little bit. So there, you, there you go. I'm over that. But when the man checked in, he told the receptionist that his name was Roland T. Owens. And as he was filling out his, like, paperwork to check in, he identified on that paperwork that he was from Los Angeles. Noticeably, he had a very long scar on his cheek and appeared to be, maybe at some point, a professional fighter because he had cauliflower ear, according to Sword those gross me out a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Some witnesses claim that he was a young man around 20, while others believe that he may have been closer to 35, but no one knows his exact age because it wasn't reported upon check-in. But he somehow came from Los Angeles to New York. Or, sorry, Missouri. Right, but we don't know that he's actually from L.A. Oh, okay. That could just be part of his story. Facade, yeah. Mm -hmm. After Roland was successfully checked in, he was assigned to room 1046, and in an article on All Things Interesting, it stated, quote, though the man's behavior struck the President Hotel staff as odd, they didn't think much of him. After all, the hotel often played host to out-of-towners and businessmen looking for some late-night company, Uh and the less the staff got involved, the better, end quote. Oh, I know what that means. Yeah, I feel like there should have been air quotes around late night late night company. company. Yeah, yeah. There's a little shady business going yeah. on. The bellhop's name that took him to his room was Randolph Probst, and he, you know, just like in the olden days, mm-hmm. escorted Roland to the elevator and then took him to the tenth floor. And if he would have had bags, 
taken them into his room. (laughs) But now that does seem weird because usually the bellhop is carrying the bag. So there's a purpose of taking you there in those little white gloves. And then they Mm -hmm. have their hand, you know, are standing there waiting for a tip. But I guess you would get no tip because you're not doing anything. Well, he did unlock the door. Okay. Well, at least there's that. And I don't know if you have ever seen the Disney Channel movie. I don't think it's actually like Disney as in like Mickey Mouse. But remember when Disney had like that minute in the 90s where they made like Life Size with Tyra Banks? No. Oh my God. I listen. (laughs) We are living in two different times, Maggie. I do not. I do not. Okay. Well, they had a movie called (laughs) The Tower of Terror, which is based off the ride that's in Disney World. I have heard of the ride. I have not been on it. Oh, it made me cry. It's one of those that, like, you free fall when Mm -hmm. you get to the top. Mm hmm. And that movie came out in the 90s and it was one of my childhood favorites. And I. As I was researching this case, I can picture, that's what I picture, because the movie was set right around that time, and, like, this dude is a reporter, and he works for something that's essentially, like, the the Inquirer, and they Uh have, like, bogus stories, and he goes to this hotel to dress his niece up like a ghost and say that this abandoned hotel is haunted, but then he figures out that it really is, Oh, and they, like... People died in a elevator crash. Uh-huh. And so he helps them, like, basically set their souls free, kind of. It's really good. Oh. Highly recommend. Anyways, Highly that's recommend. What I picture. <laughs> yeah. That's what I picture. The two make it to the 10th floor, so we're back on track now. Okay. And Roland is shown into his room. The bellhop and Roland make some small talk. As Roland told him that he had spent the previous night in another hotel that was nearby. Um, but he found that the $5 nightly rate was just way too high for him. <laughs> oh, to be back then and $5. Yeah. Be too high. I mean, even now, that's like only 87 bucks. So we'll say $90. Yeah. A night for a hotel. That's cheap. And what kind of hotel is he staying in? Because it sounds like this one he's moving into is awfully nice. So you would think it'd be more. Right. I didn't think to look up this other hotel that, that he was in. but super he, bizarre. He says it's too expensive. And so that's what brought him to the current hotel. I would almost too. I've been on vacation and not liked my hotel that I'm staying in. But it's just too much work to switch. Oh, yeah. You know? For sure. So... Yeah, but I guess went, if you have no luggage, then it's not really yeah, that hard. It's not really anything. You just walk we down went the street. One year, and they gave us a room with two full beds. And Anthony and I cannot, for extended periods of time, if it's like a weekend, we can do a full bed. But for seven nights, no, because he right. sleeps crazy. And the, we had to tr- switch rooms like two days into the trip because I was like, mm. I'm going to end up choking you out. Yeah, <laughs> we need bigger beds. <laughs> And Roland got the exact room that he had requested. It was an interior room that overlooked the hotel's courtyard instead of the street that would have been his view for an exterior room. Hmm. As the two of them talked, the bellhop watched as Roland took a hairbrush, a comb, and toothpaste <laughs> from his coat pocket. I'm assuming there was also a toothbrush in there. I would hope, unless he's using yeah. his finger, which if yeah, I've forgotten a toothbrush, yeah. <laughs> Then that's what you do. That's bizarre. Okay. Yeah. And that was the extent of his unpacking. <laughs> He's like, I'm done. Well, I'm good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you have wipe my hands. Um, and this was the first strange thing that people notice. And me as well, because when I go anywhere, first off, this isn't like his first night, right? And he's going right. to go out and buy clothes. He's already been staying at another hotel. Yeah. But when I pack to go anywhere, I'm overpacking. Like this weekend at my mom's house, I have like a carry-on size bag because I don't know. Maybe I need to change outfits three times in one day. I might spill something. Exactly. Or the weather might change because this is Kentucky. Exactly. So it strikes me as odd that he only had those few items, Mm -hmm. but 
you know, the hotel was used to seeing some strange people coming and going. So they probably just assumed this was another oddity. That just means he's been wearing the same underwear for three days. Yeah, I can't. Oh. Um, like, the older I get, the more I've noticed I just have to be clean. Like, I cannot go to bed without showering. Mm-hmm. Or if I step... Like, I feel like my feet get dirty after a shower. If I forget to wear my slippers, I will rewash my feet before I get in my bed. <laughs> I'm like, mm, so your bed that's probably a little OCD, but it's okay. And obviously, he can't be washing them in the tub in his room because they would need time to dry. Right. Hmm. So, he's just sitting in his own stank, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, after Ellen puts those few items above the sink... Both he and the bellhop leave the room. Okay. The bellboy returned to, like, locked it. And mm-hmm. he gave Roland the key. So, you know, we put everything away. And then we leave. And he goes down to the lobby and walks out of the hotel. Right after checking in. Yes. Okay. Maybe he's going to buy clothes. <laughs> Laundry mat. 24-hour yeah. laundromat. In an article published to BuzzFeed, we learned that a short time afterward, Mary, who was one of the hotel maids, was returning to work from having the day off. And she went into room 1046, or went up to room 1046, and she found that the door was locked from the inside, which surprised her because he had left. Hmm. And no one really noticed that he came back. Um... I read that she was kind of surprised. One, because the previous night a woman had been staying in the room. Oh, okay. And was locked from the inside. And Roland was there, but everybody thought the room was vacant at the time. Yeah. Because he had left. So she apologizes, but he was very nice and just said, you know, just come on in. um, And you can go ahead and just clean the room because you're already here. You don't want to. I feel like that'd be awkward. Yeah, that'd be really weird. I would just walk to the lobby or I know. go get something out of the Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> she hesitated at first. Um, she was a little bit kind of put off by that, but mm-hmm. she did eventually come into the room. And when she was later interviewed, she told police that she noticed he had the shades drawn and only had one dim lamp on. And she said that was kind of weird. Yeah. She but went on to say maybe he's a vampire, but then he went outside true. in the day, so never or mind. Or maybe he works nights or something, maybe. and it's daytime, and he's yeah. trying to get sleepy. Yeah. She actually entered the room several times that day, and you know, like bringing towels or whatever. Uh-huh. And each time, the room was dark with the shades drawn and that one dim lamp on. Hmm. She said, "Quote: He was either worried about something or afraid." End quote. Hmm. So, after she'd been cleaning in this first interaction for a few minutes, Roland put his overcoat on and brushed his hair and then left. But as he's leaving, he says, hey, do you just mind to leave the room unlocked? Some friends are coming up in a few minutes and I want them to be able to come in if I'm not here. Like, they know what room to come to. What? I know, that's weird too. And I also think it's weird that she was like, yeah, sure. Yeah. I'll leave your room open. But Hmm. she does. Different Whatever time, gets I guess. the tip. Yeah. <laughs> Four hours later, she did come back, Mary, to bring in fresh towels. So she found that the door was still unlocked from when she had cleaned the room earlier that afternoon. Okay. And upon entering, she found Roland laying fully clothed on top of his still made bed, and she thought he was asleep. So he's seemingly asleep. Okay. And he had a note on the bedside table that said, quote, Dawn, I will be back in 15 minutes. Wait. End quote. Okay. First of all, who's Dawn? Who oh, we wrote still have no idea. The note. And um, is he faking being asleep? I'm super confused. But okay. So I'm wondering if, well, one, we don't know who Dawn is. And then two, I'm wondering if he wrote the note and maybe as he was leaving and she just didn't see it and he puts it, but he beats Dawn there and then falls asleep waiting for Dawn to show up. Oh, and which would mean why, explain why he's fully clothed because he was just waiting on his friend. And the door is unlocked, you know. That's a legitimate theory. Yeah. 
So, you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. The next day, though, more strange things happen in and around room 1046. So we're now January 3rd. But I will say that in one source I read, it said this was on January 4th, but overwhelmingly majority said the 3rd. So we're just going to stick with the 3rd. Okay. So Mary comes back to clean the room around 1030 in the morning, just like she did every day that she was working. And she noticed that the door this time had been locked from the outside. And she assumed that Roland had locked it as he was leaving the room. Okay. Makes I sense. have no idea. I did like a very brief Google search, but I found nothing. I have no idea how you can tell if a door has been locked from the inside versus the outside. I don't know unless there's a deadbolt on the inside and so then you would have to get somebody on the inside to open it that's true or maybe if like hotels were a little bit different at that time maybe i don't know that's a truth i hadn't thought about the deadbolt i don't know or the little flap that goes across mm -hmm. you know did they have mm -hmm. that i would guess so regardless she knows that the door has been locked from the outside, and I'm pretty sure she thought she was going to find an empty room when she opened the door, yeah. but she actually found Roland sitting inside the room again with the lights off. Okay. At this point, I'd be like, can somebody else clean his room? I've had my turn. I've been like, sir, do you need help? <laughs> right. <laughs> because this means that someone else locked the door with him oh. sitting in the dark. So somebody, he gave the key to somebody else. Right. So somebody else has a key. Hmm. Which is creepy. Hmm. While Mary was still in the room, Roland's hotel phone rang and he answered it. And in this conversation, he says, quote, no, Don, I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry. I just had breakfast. No, I'm not hungry. End quote. Well, at least Dawn is worried about his nutrition. There you go. According to Medium.com, there was an article that was published on December 10th, 2020. That was called The Mystery of Room 1046. In this article, it says, while he's still on the phone, Roland turns to Mary. What? And starts having a conversation with her while he's still on the phone. And he's like, are you responsible for this entire floor? Is this hotel a residential one? Like asking like, her all these random questions. What do these questions. questions have to do with anything? Yeah, I would be like, blink twice if you need help. Yeah. Wow. But Mary says she answered his questions and listened as he complained about the astronomical rate at that a previous hotel before finishing her job and then like quickly leaving running the yeah, yeah. <laughs> running away she would later tell police that she felt like the young man was afraid of someone she just mm. didn't know who and that that's why like the lights are dark yeah the room is locked but like still it doesn't scared. make sense to be locked from the outside yeah you're right unless dawn is a friend and dawn's locking him in there for his own protection yeah maybe but I don't know. But I do know that Mary comes back to the room around 4 to deliver fresh towels. So I guess it was she cleans around 10.30. She brings in towels around 4. Mm -hmm. And she said when she got to the room, she heard two male voices inside the room. Oh. She knocks on the door. Is it Dawn? We don't know. Oh. Because when she knocks on the door, a rough voice that she didn't think was Roland said, Who is it? And when she explained, you know, um, housekeeping, I have fresh towels, the man said, we don't need any. Well, Roland but does because he's wearing the same clothes, so he at least needs to take a bath. <laughs> right. And obviously, they do need towels because yeah. she took the dirty ones when she cleaned oh. the room at 1030. Yeah. So there he's going to no be staying towels. in there, he needs some towels. Yeah. 
and during the night, a woman staying in room 1046 would later say that she heard loud voices, both male and female, cursing on the same floor. But I did read there was also a party happening in room 1055, and so they're like, could it have been that that she was hearing, or were... Or like voices of those people from the party outside in the hallway or something. Or was she hearing things from... Yeah. Yeah. So we don't really know where those voices came from. That same afternoon, the President Hotel got two more guests whose presence would contribute to this mystery of room 1046. The first was Jean Owen of no relation to Roland. Okay. And she came to Kansas City to meet her boyfriend for the day and decided that rather than drive all the way back to her hometown on the outskirts of the city, she would just stay the night in a hotel. Smart. Yeah, and she checks into the room right beside of Roland, and she's the one who says, I was hearing, like, repeated commotion. I heard a lot of noise. Okay. Um, It was largely men talking, women talking very loudly and cursing. She said, quote, when the noise continued, I was about to call the desk clerk, but decided not to. End quote. Hmm. And you never want to be those people. No, you know? I know. But sometimes you have to be. Right. And then, but then you don't want them to be like, um, yes, our guest in room 1048 called to complain about the yeah. noise, you know? Yeah. But then you also don't want the next morning in her case, like you wake up and you're like, you hear the man in room 1046 was stabbed to death. And you're like, oh my God, maybe I should have called the front desk. Oh my. So that's the stabbing? Potentially. Oh, my. The other hotel guest was not really a guest at all. The bellhop who had been on duty that night described her her as a quote-unquote commercial woman. I don't know what that means. Oh, selling her services. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I got Mm -hmm. it. Okay. So, on that evening, she came into the hotel searching for a man in 1026. However, despite being a, quote, very prompt customer, the woman couldn't seem to find the man she was looking for. After Hmm. searching for well over an hour on multiple floors, she gave up and went home. But both of the women would say that they heard odd things coming from 1046. So this commercial woman and the girlfriend. Okay. On January 4th, 1935, around 7 a.m., So, bright and early in the morning, Uh the hotel phone operator, Della Ferguson, noticed that Roland's hotel room telephone had been off for quite a while, and she presumed it was off the hook. Oh, because it probably shows busy for, like, Right, and this was, I'm sure she still was, like, working a switchboard or whatever to Uh transfer people. So, the bellboy, Probst, who showed him to his room the Uh first time... Was sent to go and check on Roland and just to let him know, hey, dude, your phone is off the hook. So he goes to the 10th floor and he knocked on the door and he heard a very low voice saying, come in. Uh... Okay. Allison, this was strange because the do not disturb sign was hanging on the door. And so he's like, "Mm, let me just knock again. He knocks again and the voice responded with, Turn on the lights. But no one got up to let him in. He was obviously a little freaked out. And so through the door, he's just like, put your phone back on the hook. And went downstairs. That's exactly what I would do. I'd be like, I just came to tell you about your phone. Yeah. Have a great night. Yeah. Wow. About an hour and a half later, the operator noticed that his phone was still off the hook (laughs) so this time she's like you know what probes couldn't get it done harold i'm gonna need you to go upstairs (laughs) to 1046 and tell this fool to put his phone right right maybe harold can get the job done right harold had heard that the door was locked from the inside from the other bellboy so he took a key with him and when he arrived to the door it was still locked this time though he like knocks and then lets himself in the room And he only had the light from the hallway coming in to a dark room, obviously. 
Um, this time, I don't think there was a lamp on. And Harold could see a man, presumably Roland, just lying on the bed. And it looked like the sheets were wet. And so oh, he's like, you know what? what? This hotel has some weirdies that come in here. Roland's probably gotten drunk and like peed the bed or threw up on the bed or whatever. And so he walks over to the phone puts it back onto the receiver and leaves and then locks the door behind them because he thinks Roland is just laying there sleeping off like a drunken stupor. Is the phone not right beside the bed? I'd be like averting my eyes. Like, don't look. Don't look, Allison. Don't look. <laughs> like a region, put the phone on and run. I don't, nothing ever came out and said that, but from the research, I would say it had to have been within arms, arms reach. reach of the bed yeah. Yeah. yeah sometime again between 10 30 and 10 45 the phone in room 10 46 is off the hook yet again uh, so obviously roland took it off of the hook right unless there's someone like hiding in the bathroom oh my gosh that's freaky okay so this time probes went to see if he could get roland to fix the phone so he knocks loudly several times and when there was no answer, he used his key to enter room 1046. This time, when the bellhop opened the door, he found a blood bath. <gasps> Roland was naked on all fours, holding his head in his hands. Oh. So, Probst immediately turns on the lights and could tell that Roland was suffering from multiple stabbed wounds. Wow. The bed sheets and towels were stained with blood. The walls were splattered with blood. Probst immediately ran from the room, found his manager, M.S. Weaver, and told him what he'd seen. He would later tell police that when he entered the room, Roland was, quote, on his knees and elbows, holding his head in his hands. I noticed blood on his head. I then turned on the light. I looked around and saw blood on the walls, on the bed, and in the bathroom. This frightened me, and I immediately left the room and went downstairs, end quote. Well, that's exactly what I would do. I would run. Yeah. I would probably scream first. And you would be forever traumatized. But, like... This isn't, it's an hour and a half from when somebody was just in that room and saw him on the bed. Unless the soiled sheets where the Herald thought that he'd, you know, thrown up or peed himself was blood. And then somehow Roland woke up and that's when he realizes he's been stabbed. But why is he naked? And where are his clothes? Because he only has one set. We'll talk about that. As a teacher, nearly every day I give directions to my students on how to complete various tasks. And I can't help but wish life came with directions as well. Want to figure out how to best handle stress? Do these four things. Want to know which option to choose in a major life change? Here's how to figure out the best option for you. Luckily for us, therapy is at least one step closer to finding that clarity. And the therapy that BetterHelp provides gives guidance in the ways that you need it. The therapist I've been paired with has been helping me to find the clarity that Maggie mentioned. She has given me worksheets and directions on how to implement the topics that we've discussed in sessions. What's even better is that I have choice in how the sessions themselves are conducted as well. When there are times I want to see a sympathetic and familiar face, I can have a video call with her. If I look a mess and I want to hear her voice, I can request a call for our session. And if there's ever a time when you need guidance but are in a place where you can't talk freely, you can choose to have a session via text through the app. BetterHelp and their therapists are able to give you life directions, but in the format you need it. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed embedded therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist at any time. It really couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% on your first month at betterhelp.com slash coffeeandcases, all one word. That's betterhelp.com 
dot com slash coffee and cases. Since Allison and I don't work together anymore, recording our podcast became harder until we found Zencaster. Zencaster is podcast recording the way it should be, web-based, and as easy as creating a link and clicking to join a recording session. If you've been listening to our show for any extended period of time, you know our love for Zencaster and their products. Now, with Zencaster Professional, there's even more to love. Zencaster records video up to 4K. Post-production allows you to balance volumes and reduce background noise in one click. Filler word removal takes out all the ums and ahs that happen in natural speech. And you can now also add your brand's watermark to your work. For the podcaster, the production of an episode is simple from start to finish. Recording local audio, inserting pre-recorded audio clips like intro music and ads, and even publishing the episode or setting it to post at a future date and time. It's even easy for guests who aren't tech-savvy and you can add up to 11 separate participants. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use our code coffee and cases, all one word. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experience we do for all our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Okay, so Allison, you had lots of questions. I did. And we're going to get there. Sort okay. of. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. We're going to okay. develop more along the way, though. Okay. So shortly after the police arrive, along with Dr. Flanders, who began attempting to treat Roland, um, they noticed that he had been tied with a cord around his neck <gasps> and his wrist and his ankles. He had been stabbed multiple times in the chest and one stab wound punctured his lung. Okay. Maybe the stab to his lung happened first, because I'm wondering how he wasn't screaming through all of this. Or I wonder if that was what the women had reported. The loud voices and stuff. Yeah. But I guess there would be a difference between a scream. Like, screaming and just loudly talking. Well, at least he can write. So maybe he can write who did this to him. On the right side of his head, he'd been struck multiple times, leaving his skull fractured. There was also evidence of bruising around his neck, indicating that he had potentially been strangled. The detectives later described the injuries Roland had endured as torture. Ooh. Amazingly, Roland was still alive but barely conscious when the medical team arrived. Dr. Flanders asked Owen who had done this to him, and he repeated, nobody. So, Roland is just telling them, nobody. Hmm. When Flanders asked how the injuries had happened, Roland said he fell against the bathtub. Okay, well, that doesn't explain the rope burn or the stab wounds. Or the stab wounds. Before he could ask any more questions, though, Roland did slip into a coma. The doctors also discovered that the wounds on Roland had been inflicted well before the bellhop's first trip to Roland's room. So when he shouts, hang up your phone, through the door. Oh, no. So he'd been in there all day suffering? Yeah, and they they say that the phone was off the hook because he was too weak but was trying to call for help multiple times. Oh, no. Yeah. But he hadn't been able to do much more than pick up the phone. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine if this bellhop had turned the light on the first time and gone in? Yeah. And can you imagine the guilt he probably had though? And I know you can't play that what if game. Mm. That's not healthy. But oh. Yeah. I feel so bad for the suffering he had to have gone through. Yeah. Me too. Painful. So, he is in a coma, but they rush him to the hospital, and in the meantime, the police start their investigation, and as you probably could have guessed, it is a weird one. Right. (laughs) All we really know is there's a Dawn. Yeah. (laughs) And someone maybe named Roland. Right. (laughs) Maybe. The room was virtually empty, because if you remember, he packed nothing other than a comb, a toothbrush, toothpaste, and... A hairbrush shut. So there's not a lot. Hotel items like soap, shampoo, and towels were all missing. 
Huh. So despite, somebody took them. Yeah. Despite the call, like, hey, do you need more towels? And they were like, nope, we're good. There really weren't any in there. Roland was found naked. So naturally, the police are like, all right, he has to have some clothes in here somewhere. But there were no clothes either. Okay. They're all gone. No coat, shirt, pants, socks, no shoes. Which is Everything how you is know gone. that this is obviously not self-inflicted. Yeah, he did not fall no. in the bathtub. No. The only thing in the room of notability were two empty water glasses, an unlit cigarette, a hairpin, a safety pin, and a bottle of diluted sulfuric acid. Okay, that was odd and not something he pulled out of his pocket. Yeah, he didn't pack that. Right. <laughs> One of the empty water glasses laid in the sink had a broken piece of glass missing, and the other had four fingerprints that the police were able to determine belonged to a woman. I don't know how they determined that. That's kind of like with that also, Betty Gale Brown case where they were like, some of the fingerprints were male and some were female. I don't know how they figured that out either. Somebody let us know. Yeah. But maybe it was, you know, a woman had stayed in there a few nights ago. So maybe she uh, had moved that glass. That doesn't necessarily mean there was a woman in there when he died. Right. So I guess it could have been coincidence. But that also means that the hotel didn't wash the glass, which is kind of gross. Yeah, I never use those. Yeah, and I've I also either. heard, like, you know how some people put, like, um, in those buckets, they'll fill them with ice without using the little baggies. Oh, yeah, without the liner. Because I read this article that this woman said, like, people throw up in those, people Ooh. go to the bathroom in those. <laughs> then you're eating ice out of it. Crunch away. You're eating poop, you're yeah. eating poop ice. <laughs> Enjoy. So, with no leads, the detectives began questioning the other guests and the staff that worked at the hotel. They checked the registration at the front desk and saw that Roland T. Owen had put his hometown as Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. The detectives reached out to the Los Angeles police and they ran a search and they're like, sorry, no one with the name Roland T. Owen exists. Oh. And so, now detectives are like... Is this guy really named Roland T. Owen? So either he's running from somebody or because he's potentially going to be a victim or he's like, the only other option I'm thinking is he's somehow like a fugitive of the law. And so he wouldn't want to go by his real name. Mm. It's a good point, too. But police never get to ask him any of those questions or what his real name is because he would go on to die in the hospital Later that night slash oh. the early morning of the next day. Oh. So now they're really and, having to figure out on their own who did this to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just like in last week's case, um, Roland's story is followed closely by newspapers. And I actually went back and forth between calling him Roland and not because mm -hmm. that's not really his oh, name. Oh, right. But it has been up until this point. So and it's the only name like, we have. Well, so. we figure out more. Oh. But right now, that's the only he's only Roland. Okay. So that's why I decided yeah. to use Roland. Yeah. So his story is followed closely by newspapers. In media coverage, it was revealed that the police were not certain that Roland T. Owen was the name of the now deceased man. And so actually many residents began trying to identify him by sending pictures in of their own missing relatives or calling in with questions and asking, you know, what did he look like? Mm -hmm. Were there any distinguishing characteristics? Things like, how old was he? Things like that. Mm -hmm. One man, Robert Lane, believed that he actually gave Roland, because we still don't know his name, mm -hmm. a ride to find a taxi on the night of January 3rd around 10 p.m. He said that Roland flagged him down because Roland believed he was a taxi. And the man stops. And when Roland realizes he's not a taxi driver, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to stop you. You know, go ahead and go about your business. <laughs> Lane. <laughs> Such so a weird. weird encounter. Yeah. Yeah. Lane told police that when he stopped, he noticed that Roland wasn't wearing a coat. And remember, it's January. And so it is very cold in Missouri in January. And he also noticed he had a deep scratch. And the article I've read, the articles I read this in, um, all refer to it as a scratch and not like a, a cut. wound or a cut. But yeah. he was 
he checked into the hotel with a coat. So he obviously got Maybe a coat from somewhere. this is the beginning somewhere. of his nakedness. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Given those two circumstances, though, it's cold and he doesn't have a coat and yeah. he has this wound on his arm. He's like, you know what? Just go ahead and hop in and I'll drive you to a taxi and they can take you mm-hmm. like wherever else you need to go. Mm-hmm. While driving, Lane didn't think to ask his name or really any other information, but he did notice that Roland was bleeding from his arm and maybe some other injuries. Again, he didn't ask anything. And he did drop him off at another taxi, and he said he never saw Roland again. Mm. So, I'm sure he didn't ask anything, because I don't think I would either. Like, if I'm driving a random stranger, and I'll, <laughs> which, I would, which I wouldn't, but if right. I did, <laughs> and I looked over, and they were bleeding from their arm, and potentially another wound, I would just be like, keep your eyes straight ahead, Maggie. Right. <laughs> Watch the traffic. <laughs> don't even look over there. Right. Wow. But this lead was dismissed. I don't... They dismissed it because hotel eyewitnesses said that Roland did not return to the hotel that night with any injuries. Like, they saw him and he was fine. Dr. Flanders also placed the injuries of Roland occurring around 4 or 5 a.m. based on the hardening of blood in his room. Okay. And so if he came back at, like... 1030 or 11. Right. He should have been fine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if it's in the arm, that I feel like could be easily concealed. It's not like he's walking around with a wound on his head. Right. You know? And if the blood had congealed, you know, and it's no longer, you know, oozing oozing or whatever. Yeah. If you remember, though, Roland supposedly stayed at another hotel the night before his crazy adventure begins. Yeah, so maybe they start there. And police find that out because they talk to the bellboy because the bellboy knew that from his conversation with Roland. Yeah. So they follow up on this lead and they go to the hotel. And when they ask the receptionist if a Roland T. Owen had checked into the hotel, they're like, nope, sure didn't. (gasps) And he was even complaining about it to the maid. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, so there's nobody under that name. Mm. But police showed them a photo of Roland, and from the picture, the staff was able to determine that Roland had checked into the hotel on that said day, but he checked in under the name Eugene K. Scott. And so now they're like, okay, he really is not named Roland T. Owen. These are weird. Okay. Images of the dead man continue to be circulated nationwide in the hopes of identifying him. Finally, one of those pictures circulated to the right person. Oh, good. Yes. A friend of a lady named Ruby Ogletree in Birmingham, Alabama, 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 showed her an issue of the American Weekly. So this was a Sunday newspaper supplement published by the Hearst Corporation. Okay. And it had an article about the case in this newspaper. The unidentified man, thought the friend, looked a whole, whole lot like Ruby's son, Artemis. What a great name. I know. I love that name. She so was under was the impression. was her son missing? Okay. Well, all of, so the friend and the mom are all under the impression that Artemis was traveling. In fact, Ruby had not seen him since he left to hitchhike to California in 1934. Oh, maybe that's why he said he was from Los Angeles. There's a Mm -hmm. California connection. But she said that he had been keeping up correspondence with her. Does she know a Dawn? No. Oh, never mind. (laughs) Ruby contacted the Kansas City Police Department and was able to provide enough information about this previous unnamed corpse, including a description of his scar that's on his head, if you remember that. Oh, yeah. She said that when he was a child, there was an accident with some hot grease that got spilled there. Oh, gosh. So it's scarred. She's able to identify all of that. And so now they're like, okay, so Roland T. Owen is actually Artemis. Right. And so they know who he is now. But now they're like, why is he changing his name everywhere he goes? Exactly. We have one answer but that leads to so many more questions 
You see, Allison, Ruby had received several letters, supposedly from her son, after he had been killed. Okay. The first came in early 1935 and was postmarked from Chicago. And this made her a little bit suspicious because it was typewritten. And as far as she knew, Artemis did not know how to use a typewriter. It was also like the envelope was written in a highly stylized script that would not have been consistent with his previous letters. Like it looked like he didn't write that. So this is how we know when our students are cheating too. Exactly. If yeah. they start sounding not like themselves, you're like, mm-hmm. let me Google this. But of course you couldn't do that in the 30s. But she would know. <laughs> yeah. In May 1935, another letter, supposedly from Artemis, said that he was going to Europe. It was followed by a special delivery letter saying that his ship was sailing out that day. Both were sent from New York, according to an article that I read in the Newcastle Sun. So did she normally send her son money or something? Or I'm wondering why somebody would keep up this ruse. Well, a lot of people think it was whoever was responsible for what happened to him. Just as like, but like d- a out sick of guilt? joke, I guess. Oh. Maybe. But it didn't stop there. In August of that year, so August of 1935, Ruby received a telephone call from Memphis, Tennessee. And this man told her, called up and said, Hey, I just had to talk to you and let you know Artemis saved my life. Yes. He saved what? my life in a fight. And Artemis himself could not call you because he's now living in Cairo. So we're now in Egypt. What? Where he's married to a really wealthy woman. He's really well off. He's super happy. But he's, you know, unable to write you because he had actually lost his thumb on his dominant hand in the fight in which he saved my life. Oh my gosh. This is so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, and like so specific. Like you came up with such a detailed lie to say he saved your life, he lost his thumb, and that's why he can't contact you. This is weird. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Ruby talked with a man for about half an hour, according to an article called Phone Calls Add to Mystery of Youth Killed Last January. Um, She recalled that he spoke wildly and irrationally, but seemed to have first-hand knowledge of Artemis. She gave the police the name of the man used to identify himself, but this name has never been made public. So, I don't know if he gave his actual name or what. Right, or if they determined it was also false. Right. If Artemis had, at some point before his death, gone to Egypt... Or anywhere else overseas, he hadn't done so under his own name, which honestly, are we surprised? Not shocking. No. Yeah. yeah. Because no, like, steamship company at the time had any record that he traveled with them using his given name. hmm And the U.S. Embassy in Cairo was unable to find any evidence that he had ever lived there. Through the police's conversation with Ruby, they were able to figure out that Artemis had stayed at a third hotel while in Kansas City, the St. Regis. There he'd shared a room with another man. Whether or not this man was Dawn could not be established. I'm going to say that it was. I am too. An article published in the New Yorker called The Homicide Squad in Action said in 1937, the New York City police arrested a man named Joseph Martin on murder charges after he killed a man he shared a room with and put the body in his trunk to be shipped to Memphis. Or in a trunk to be shipped to Memphis. Hmm. Among the several aliases, he was found to have used Donald Kelso. (gasps) Dawn! Yes, that's Mm. the connection that they made. But according to the story in the New Yorker, the Kansas City Police Department had matched samples of his handwriting to that in the letters written to Ruby to see, you know, could that be the same person? But they, I guess they weren't able to determine any of that because no charges were ever filed against this man in regards to Artemis's case. I wonder if... Artemis had somehow known about the other death 
And maybe mm-hmm. that's why Dawn killed him was to keep him quiet and maybe he thought he could handle it but then when he starts like getting depressed and you know not bathing and not eating and staying in dark rooms and all that stuff i don't know that's a thought it kind of makes sense though yeah but let me hear the other theories so the case stays open for a while obviously um Police reviewed it every few years until the 1950s, and then they just determined that it's a cold case. Mm. So there are a couple theories. Obviously, theory one would be like that anonymous caller slash letter writer. Right. And according to Factology, it says, quote, One such story claims the anonymous caller who sent the money for Artemis is... Oh, I left that part out. Sleuth hounds. There was, I meant to go back and add that, so now it's a little tidbit. When they did his funeral, so when he was buried, mm-hmm. um, a random person made the donation to cover his funeral cost. So maybe the letters were sent out of guilt. Yeah, and so maybe there's in this theory they're saying, could the anonymous caller and this funeral funder... Mm-hmm kind of be the same person Mm -hmm. this has led to a popular theory that artemis was engaged to be married Uh uh-huh and cheated on his wife because a lot of people say the donation came from a woman and then the fiance's brother finds out that artemis has cheated and kills artemis oh the supposed statements made by the anonymous caller were first published in a magazine and papers after his death, sensationalizing the story, possibly jumping off the actual fact of, like, saying there were mailed flowers and a letter from this person called Louise. Um, Louise. But the caller never made any of those statements. Mm. So how much of it was kind of like in the case speculation. last week. Yeah, and speculation rumor. and rumor. So we know that the caller said, you know, he saved my life and he's living in Cairo, but the caller never said anything. Yeah. Yeah. But never said anything, you know, that he dated my sister. Right. Right. Or there were all these letters from this woman. I'm going to scratch this theory. So theory two is Dawn and maybe some friends of Dawn. Mm Mm-hmm. So, in this theory, we're going to assume that Dawn beat Artemis to death in room 1046, and he either acted alone or acted with th- acted with friends. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot to back that up, right? We have this commercial woman who was this 135-pound, five-and-a-half-foot-tall woman that hears all this ruckus when she's looking for the man in 1026. Right. And she says that there potentially could have been multiple people in Artemis's room. Mm-hmm. And this theory isn't completely, you know, out there. If you recall earlier when I mentioned the theory that there could have been multiple people in the room, even a woman in the room. So could she have been in there at some point oh. and even seen Dawn and touched the glass? Yeah. So she does she know more than what she's actually saying? And then there's the lady in room 1048 that heard the loud voices, both man and woman. Oh, right. So then so if could they it were have both been, in there. Yeah. Could it have been the commercial woman? Now I'm wondering, was Dawn even staying in room 2 in 1026? And she's searching for him and she actually finds him in 1046. And that's mm. why she comes in, you know. Right. I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of stretching on that one. But it wouldn't be unreasonable to suspect that the commercial woman and the man that in that room mm-hmm. could have been responsible for right. the death of Artemis or right. even just the man in the room. Because, I mean, we know. You would think if somebody's coming in the room and they're walking out with clothing and. You know, like, all of his stuff from his room and all that stuff that somebody would have noticed unless there were multiple people and they were like, okay, 
I'll sneak out the jacket. You sneak out the pants. You, you like know. How, it wouldn't look odd, though, if you're leaving a hotel with a bag of clothes. Or if you brought a suitcase in. Right. And then left with it. Mm-hmm. And they would they had the key because he yeah. was locked in the room. Yeah. And then theory three kind of plays in with theory one. Um, could it have been revenge? So in an article I read on BuzzFeed, it said that those sensationalized articles suggested that Artemis was killed because he was unfaithful to his fiance. But again, this was based off rumor. Hmm. I think they did. I'm trying to remember in my research. I think they did like try to figure out who funded the funeral, but they never figured out for sure. They spoke with the person. And the person gave them, like, specific instructions, like, I want him buried in Memorial Park Cemetery. Um, you know, he doesn't need to be in a poor person's grave. He'll be near my sister. Or he'll be near, some, like, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. I'll send the funds to cover the funeral expenses. So, again, I don't know how much of that conversation actually happened or how much of it was sensationalized by the newspapers. Mm-hmm. But that's the three theories. So the revenge theory, which I don't really buy. Yeah. The anonymous caller, which I think could be linked into theory two as well, is Dawn the anonymous caller. Mm -hmm. And then did Dawn have help from this commercial woman, which I don't think he did. I just think she happened to be there, you know. I'm, I guess I'm torn on that part. Do I think that there is a Dawn? Yes, I do. Do I think because that's an alias of that guy who was known to have killed somebody else he shared a room with, that is a high likelihood that that's mm -hmm. the same person. And I'm going to go back to this. Maybe Roland knew about that other murder and, you know, now he's collateral damage of that previous one. You know, if, if Dawn's afraid that he's going to go to police or whatever and maybe this other woman is involved i mean who best to get you to break a law than somebody who's already breaking the law i do think your theory about the collateral damage makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. i wonder if we will ever get to the bottom of the mystery of room 1046 I think as time continues to pass, our chances grow slimmer and slimmer. The hotel is still open and booking rooms. I personally would never be brave enough to stay in a room where something so horrific happened. But would you, sleuthhounds? Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll, we'll see, see you, you next week. Such a fun podcast to recommend to you this week, especially if you find yourself enthralled in the dark crimes of your typical true crime podcast, but you love the genre so much that you're afraid to stray to a different genre of podcasts. Thanks to our friend and all-around great guy, Leroy, and his podcast, Excuse Me, That's Illegal where he delves into some hilarious true crime tales. Check him out. And if you love the show like we do, and I know that you will, make sure you leave him a five-star review with a comment letting him know that Maggie and Allison sent you. And if you're curious about the show, here's a little bit about the show from Leroy himself. 
Oh, hey there. You like true crime stories, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. Who doesn't? But I gotta admit, after a while, all those stories of murder and heartache, well, they tend to go straight to my hips. So that's why I, Leroy Luna, have created a podcast called Excuse Me, That's Illegal, where we'll take a hardcore look at some softcore crimes. No TED Talks on Bundy here. The letters BTK won't be coming from these lips. Unless he had a brother that used to steal library books. Suppose I'd be willing to go balls deep into that one if that were the case. Anyways, you'll hear stories such as the Mad Pooper, a female jogger who wreaked havoc in a Colorado Springs neighborhood, using one family's front yard as her own personal dumping grounds. If this kind of content sounds like it's up your alley, excuse me, that's illegal, is available right now on all your favorite podcatchers. So come join me. I'll be right here waiting for you. It's love notes from Maggie and Allison, and that is so hard to sing because I have these Invisalign and they make me have a lisp, but it's fine. <laughs> Allison. Allison. We want to send some love out this week to Amanda, to Teachers Talk Crime Podcast, to Matt, and to Jackie for reaching out to us via email or social media or for recommending the podcast on Facebook and Instagram. We would love to get more people, obviously, to join the CNC fam and hear about these cases because that's our ultimate goal. So make sure if you are recommending the pod that you tag us on Instagram or you use the at symbol before typing coffee and cases on Facebook so we can see your recommendation and make sure that we send you a love note in a future episode. We also have had two new written reviews on Apple Podcasts, and you know that we love those. Yes. Only the nice ones, though. Only the nice ones. Yes. Nice ones only. One was entitled, Love It, and it's so cute. It said, quote, Maggie used to be my teacher, and I just love, love, love her podcast. That's so sweet. I love that. And I'm sure you were one of those babies I loved, loved, loved teaching, too. Yes. And another review came in from Jay Scott, and it said, quote, just found this podcast and love it. Keep it up, ladies, end quote. Thank you so much for that, Jay Scott. We love that you all appreciate what we do and that you love it as much as we do. And one other love note goes out to Anastasia, who wrote us on social to say, quote, I thoroughly enjoy your podcast. Thank you for keeping it classy. Not having foul language and using inappropriate comments, sadly present in many other TC podcasts. Keep up the good work, ladies, end quote. Thank you, Anastasia. And remember that we will not be posting an episode next week because we will be taking off for Thanksgiving to spend time with our families. So if you miss us as badly as we're going to miss you, Mm -hmm. you still have time to join Patreon. And it is definitely something to be thankful for that you can do that for only $5 a month and still have access to so much fun content. And it grows each month. And you will help support us Mm -hmm. in producing the show because it is a lot and we appreciate all the support that we do get from you guys. Yes, we do. So just head on over to patreon.com forward slash coffee and cases, all one word. And with that, all of our love is going out to each and every one of you until two weeks from now. Sleuth Hounds. (laughs) 